from Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 53, recorded September the 7th, 2023, and it's brought to you by your sponsor, Electric. I am Master of Ceremonies, Jason Snell, and with me as always is Julia Alexander, Director of Strategy at Parrot Analytics. Julia, welcome back. Jason, long time, no talk. Yeah, well, as we disclosed right in the open, this was uh, recorded uh, two weeks ago as it's been released because we're banking an episode uh, and in fact, I can tell you why we're banking an episode. We're banking an episode because when this episode is released, I'm going to be in uh, Memphis at St. Jude doing the Relay FM podcast-a-thon because September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and Relay has been raising money since 2019, uh, you know, well over $2 million raised in all that time. St. Jude won't stop their life-saving work until no child dies from cancer. With your support, we will be one step closer to that Day. St. Jude is headquartered in Memphis, but its work has a global impact. It's treated children from all 50 states of the U.S. and from all over the world. 90% of children with cancer live in low and middle income countries. That's unacceptable to St. Jude. They launched St. Jude Global to ensure that every child with cancer and other catastrophic diseases has access to quality care and treatment no matter where they live. Today, St. Jude collaborates with more than 280 different partners representing more than 70 countries, and that's all growing Check it out, stjude.org slash inspire to find out more about how St. Jude Global Partnerships helps children in countries like Jordan, Lebanon, and the Philippines. We are so grateful to everybody out there who has joined with Relay in supporting St. Jude. Uh, donors who make an individual gift of $60 or more get a digital bundle of Relay FM wallpapers and screensavers. Screensaver is something worth beholding, I would say. If you make an individual individual gift of $100 or more, you get a sticker pack featuring all new designs. Click on the blue search employer button when you donate uh, to see if your corporation has matching and that it'll be attached to the Relay FM campaign. And then every dollar you give, your corporation's going to give money too. That's awesome. And uh, of course, you can also start your own fundraising campaign if you want and win things like a challenge coin or a desk mat uh, or even a tote bag, depending on how much you raise. Go to stjude.org slash relay to donate and find out more about fundraising. That's stjude.org slash relay to learn more and donate. And if you're hearing this before the podcast-a-thon on Friday, September 22nd, you can tune in from 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern. I'll be there along with Mike and Stephen and Kathy. Uh, stjude.org slash relay. All right. Julia, a big story from two weeks ago, but we didn't talk about it. So now it wasn't Sports Corner. So now we're going to talk about it a little bit is the ongoing story of CNN. CNN now has a new boss and and we, we are a, story, a show about streaming, but CNN's streaming quandary has been a topic of ours since the very beginning. So I thought we would talk about it a little yeah. bit. Mark Thompson, formerly uh, in, at the BBC and ran the New York Times, has now been hired uh, by David Zaslav as his one and only choice, as far as I can tell. Um, I thought this was a very perceptive bit of writing from Dylan Byers, who wrote, Thompson's former colleagues say that in addition to being steeped in the arts of television, he possesses a brilliant grasp of the larger challenges. Quote, he sees the battleship on the horizon and knows how to maneuver it. Unquote. One Times executive who worked closely with him told me, said another, quote, he understands why traditions exist and why traditions need to be interrogated and overturned. 
most people don't get those two things right. I thought those were very perceptive quotes that Dylan Byers got. This idea that you have to have with something like the BBC or the New York Times or CNN, an understanding of why the traditions exist and why they're important while also being aware that you need to interrogate them. I like that and overturn them if necessary. What do you think this says about where CNN might be going? Yeah, I mean, first of all, just credit to Dylan, who's truly the CNN whisperer. He's been (laughs) the most voracious reporter on this beat uh, for uh, since Chris Licht came in uh, and and Chris Licht was out, which he broke the news of and then broke the news that Mark Thompson was the sole person that they wanted. And then I think he broke the news that that he was the person who got it. So really, you know, credit to to Dylan, who's a a colleague of mine at Puck. Um, You know, I think... I keep saying this, and I've said this on the podcast before, Jason, you and I always chuckle at it, but it's got to be true, right? Like, if you're Jason Kalar, <laughs> like, you're just like, well, talk about plans. I think it's difficult to look at what Mark Thompson did for the New York Times and say we're going to copy and paste the format with CNN. On the one hand, what he did at the New York Times was an understanding that we need to acquire and implement new businesses that are going to um commodify and monopolize so that we can monetize the attention share of people on the internet. There was this idea that he looked at the New York Times as a product of where people spent their time to gather information and quickly realized that people were getting their information from other places. This is crucial to CNN as well. But then he said, our advantage is because we're effectively going to be a mobile or desktop first format. What other products fit into a, pro- a mobile or desktop first focus that can then be used to create habit, which can be then used to create bundle, which can then be used to leverage the highest amount of um, monetization that we can get from this. And so that's how you see, you look at cooking, you look at games, you look at the athletic. Um, I the, the predictions I've been making for a long time is I would not be surprised if there was a CNBC slash Robinhood style uh, stock kind of component to this where people really open up throughout the day uh, or or dedicated weather app that's not necessarily like here is the weather but is really a combination of climate change reporting um and also just localized weather which is what people think of when they they think of what, what's necessary to them and so mark thompson looked at it and said how do we recreate the idea of an attention bundle that sits ab- almost above the information ecosystem um to really create something that 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 creates habit him and his partners, one of whom, of course, was his deputy, uh, Meredith, who's now the CEO of, of the New York Times. Um, very, very, very strong. Very smart implementation. It is now the go-to for almost every media executive to look at, an entertainment executive to look at and say, like, we want to emulate that. At CNN, what's interesting is that CNN cannot rip itself from its most lucrative source. When the New York Times said we're basically going to pivot to focusing almost purely on digital, like the the the, the circulation of, of physical papers had been declining at a, such a rapid rate that it was like, this makes more sense for us. Um, even if advertising within the print system is still lucrative, we're not going to get rid of it, but we really are migrating here. The idea that CNN is going to pull that affiliate revenue is going to pull that attention away from i think they're at 71 or 69 million households in the united states and really focus on a max product is problematic in and of itself but two there was this idea that mark thompson at the new york times that was 
we think young people still want news. We just know that they want news on top of something. So, so the idea of Max with CNN is that CNN is the something that um, uh, C, uh, the Max pro- CNN is something that will sit on top of the Max programming. And I came up with a term for this in, in one of my puck articles. I said they're really good, or the New York Times has become really good at peripheral attention magnets. And it's this idea that like the main thing you're going for then causes you to turn attention to something else within your peripheral. And so for the New York Times, if you're coming for games or coming for cooking, the peripheral was almost the news, right? Like the money that the New York Times made from this went back into journalism. Like it supported the news product. If you're going into Max, the peripheral attention magnet is CNN. The way that you know you've got a really successful peripheral attention magnet is if it becomes its own core business. And so people are saying, oh, I go to this and, and it, it's what I want it to be. And also it makes me want to sign up for a bundle because these are all core aspects of my experience within this product. And so I will pay for it. I don't think this is the really scary portion of news within a streaming bundle is that I think we have inflated the value, and I want to be very careful with how I word this, we've inflated the value of a news product. I don't mean we've inflated the value of having news. News is crucial to a democratic republic and its success in, in years to come. News is valuable. What I mean is that the product itself of cable news has been inflated in the same way that sports leagues, we talked about this on last week's podcast, uh, what we talked about the idea of um, the value of sports in a lot of ways. The, the the pay TV system inflated the value of sports weight, inflated the value of news because there was this affiliate revenue and because you had more than 100 million households signing up for these uh, for these cable packages. You could pay your anchors a lot of money. You could have 24-7 news. You could create this product that was really profitable globally um, and especially in the United States. That is not necessarily true on streaming. On streaming, which is an intent-based system. People are going in to watch something like like a, a succession. They're, we have to find a new show that's over. They're going in to watch something like a Harry Potter movie. And then it's like, maybe I'll go check in on the news. But also I have push notifications. Also, I'm on my phone going through Instagram and Twitter and, and TikTok. And I'm getting news from there. I'm playing Wordle on my phone. And that's bringing me to the New York Times on my phone. And so how does CNN really exist as a product in terms of grabbing attention and monetizing that attention within a streaming product is really difficult. And so the question for Mark Thompson is not just how do you reform CNN to fit HBO Max? It is how do you reform CNN entirely? I think it starts with the CNN app yeah. uh, on top uh, of Max. But curious of your thoughts. Yeah, uh, the CNN app. I, I think the challenge on one level is that the New York Times being written with video uh, but written was portable in a bunch of ways to the web, yes. obviously, and to their app. CNN has a website. It's had for a long time. They've got stories on it. However, I, I would say as a brand, that's not what it's really about. It's great that they have that stuff, but so much of their their brand is video. Um, still, it's in the ballpark where you want to reach people on their phones and you want to reach people there are lean back experiences that you want when people are tuning into something because they want news on in the background to see what's going on in the world or they want to catch up on the whatever the super important breaking news that just happened. But you also how do you create habits? And, you know, they're, what they're fortunate about is that the entire digital content realm has is tipping more toward video now after in the early days with with uh, broadband speeds being a lot less and computers being a lot less powerful, it tipped more toward text. Now it's tipping back toward video. You see incredible success with things like TikTok. And so you say, okay, CNN, sure, you should be on those platforms, but also how do you create 
the ability for people to check in and, and on their phones and see what's going on in the world, whether it's stuff that they're interested in or breaking news or whatever in the context of being on their mobile device. And, and right. that is, uh, one of the things in the Dylan Byer story, I think that I, I, that I really liked as well was that they talked to somebody at the New York times who said when he came in, he talked about all of these goals in terms of getting, building a digital subscriber base that I thought were completely impossible and they did all of them. And that, I thought that was so telling because that's the idea of you've got people on the inside who know why their brand is important, but don't know about the change in business models. And then somebody at the outside who is able to say, no, 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 we can do more. We can be something we're not right now and having that vision. And if he can do that again, that's going to be very powerful because that's sort of what CNN needs right now is it needs yeah. it needs a, a broader perspective to say, how do we reach people in a in a way that doesn't start with people come home from work and turn on the TV to watch the news on on the cable channel right like right. like that is seems like ancient history now how do you how do you reposition i think you're right uh, the app and then it's two pronged right i think it's the right. app and then something that is inside of a a more lean back kind of traditional experience like on on cable or on max and that's I think that's how you start. But, you know, what the New York Times has had incredible success redefining what it is. So now New York Times is not just a newspaper or even the New York Times collection of properties. It is also New York Times cooking and New York Times games. So, right, it's connections and Wordle and all of, and the crossword puzzle and all of that. It's the wire cutter. It's the athletic. They built up a whole collection of things that are part of the New York Times offering. And that is... That that kind of vision is what you know CNN really really does require is is what is what is this thing how does it spread out and it's within it's not its own standalone company it's within Warner Brothers Discovery but I would say with Zaslav like so much Discovery content is arguably nonfiction and some of it is actually nonfiction and like there are ways to have some of that stuff even maybe connect with the CNN brand in a way it doesn't right now because it has more in common with the discovery part of Warner Brothers discovery than the Warner Brothers part. You're articulating exactly how I feel. And I want to add to what you're saying about how to utilize different components of CNN. And, you know, a big thing with me is if you are committed to CNN as a news brand for tomorrow's generation of consumers, and, and I think there's a lot of focus on this idea of like, how do we get 18 to 25 year olds interested in news? And one, I think that devalues the fact that they are interested in news and getting it in a different way. But two, I think, I, I, you know, the, my, my, the, there's a line about this. I can't remember the exact line, but, you know, my theory is until you have to start worrying about mortgages and where your kids are going to school and healthcare, you're not really paying a lot of attention to politics or news, right? Like it's, there's, there's aspects of, what you get with life experience where you really start paying attention to certain types of news. And there's aspects of news that we want everyone to pay attention to. But if we're being honest, they they really don't. Like international news, unfortunately, most people don't spend a lot of time to focus on. I, I worked at, you know, national newspapers and I remember working their international teams. And unless it was Russia invades Ukraine or, 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 you know, massive earthquakes or whatever it might be, most international news does not really captivate audiences. And that's what CNN's always done really well. And so I think this aspect of how do we get people to really build habit out of a new source is almost taking advantage of the apps that you have. And so 
Max, if you view Max as a delivery of information app, right? It exists there on, and, and then I think we have to break that down further. On the television, kind of what Jason was saying, people open up Max to watch one of their favorite TV shows or a movie that landed. Maybe they then go to CNN, right? That's traditional kind of cable flipping. Like I look at my parents, that's what they do. They start a show. Once it's finished, they go check in on CNN around 9 p.m. And then, which is, of course, Max is bringing a lot of that programming from the primetime over to Max, the simulcast. And then they go back to the watching their shows. And so you're kind of saying, well, they're within this ecosystem. That's great. And so the functionality of the TV app is very much in line with how we've always operated with our approach to TV as a distribution method. If we look at how we interact with our phones or with our tablets or with our computers, it's, it's different. And so I think there's, you know, I've said this time and time before, but the news in 2023 is not just a competition amongst different programmers and different networks. It's a competition against different formats. And so like, like I think about Axios doing super well in digital media in large part because it is excellent reporting condensed in a really easy to di- to read way. Like, like it's digestible. It's a fun format. It answers everything pretty well and it's done very well for them as a company. And so if I'm Warner Brothers Discovery and I'm CNN and I've got this app that lives on people's phones and can be, or tablets and can be a pathway to information. And I mean, literally like there's a push notification, you know, one of Trump's associates has been indicted or something, or Trump himself has been indicted, you know, watch the news coverage or um, Sam Bickman Friedman is, is you know, the, the, the verdict about his trials coming out, you know, watch that or um, there's been a protest or uh, there's there's an earthquake, right? Or, or there's an invasion, whatever it is that really gets people into CNN, send out a push notification, allow non-subscribers to have access to it for even an hour, give them time to come in and see what this is and then say, we're going to be an information delivery system for you, and we're going to be your entertainment provider, and we're going to be able to capture your attention across all these different devices, and we're going to play a role for you in the way that it you need it to be by the behavior of how you interact with your different devices. And that's what I mean, like CNN.com as a website, as an app, doesn't do... They do original reporting, but they're not doing the level of investigative or extensive original reporting that the New York Times does. That's where the New York Times goes and invests their money. And so they're really big aggregators. That's not even that big of a deal. Like aggregation is a very successful ad-driven business for a lot of companies. You know, Vox Media is an ag- in a lot of ways does original reporting, but are aggregation sites in a lot of ways. Um, and so within the Max and CNN app, if you can direct each other, you know, there's videos from Max that people can click on and watch or, or there's vi- or within the app itself, there's articles that people can read on Max. It, it, they're CNN.com articles, but they, uh, they open in the Max app. So you're not losing that customer. I think really rethinking what news has to be for consumers at different times of the day and, and at different um, occasions and, and a different mindset is going to be key to their success. And I realize I'll end on this because I realize I've been rambling. I've just had a lot of, I've been thinking about news kind of media for the last two and a half years. The, the, the other thing about this is I realize I'm suggesting a huge investment. Like I'm, I'm suggesting like a huge product overhaul and, and like uh, investment in engineering and QA and investment in journalists in a lot of ways and journalists and video editors um, in SEO and social. And that's, not a uh, cheap task. Uh, it's also um, for a company that's $47.5 billion in debt, uh, probably not going to happen in the next little bit. They just need people to see, to actually start watching stuff on, on, on HBO Max on CNN. But I think 
having that short-sighted need to create revenue and also the long side of like, what is the future of media, including video media in a world where people are getting their news from video in vertical format in 30 second chunks? And how does CNN use its quality to be above that, but also not make it seem like they're above the audience they're trying to pursue um, is crucial to this discussion. Yeah. Uh, and they're, I'm interested to see how they approach it because all the, I feel like all the ideas have been thrown out there. It is the question of what are the right ones that fit and how do you lean into them? And that I think is where having somebody like Mark Thompson there to pick through it and build a team because uh, as uh, Dylan Byers report also pointed out, like he's not going to be the one managing the content day to day. He needs a team of trusted people around him to do that. But it, it at least gives me some hope about the future of this brand that, that he's going to be able to look at it from the outside. It feels, this feels like a more patient, we need to fix this. It's an asset. It needs to be better approach than the last approach, which was much more, it felt a lot more panicky and poorly thought out. Um, whether it works or not, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a hard question to talk about conceptualizing the future of news um, to a younger audience in different formats. But the fact is, you ask somebody 15 years ago about the New York Times, they certainly wouldn't tell you that about Wordle and the crosswords and the recipes and the you know, the exactly. local sports coverage in Chicago and San Francisco and about the, uh, you know, wire cutter recommendation for the best, uh, I, I don't know, the best uh, comforter cover, right? Like, but that's where they are. <laughs> so uh, it just takes some of that vision to and, and, and bravery to be willing yeah. to transform from what you're used to. And also, I mean, and saying like, you're going to sacrifice some revenue like it's difficult i get it's not easy and i think anyone who says it's easy is, is lying or is is full of it and it's it's a difficult decision and it's difficult to walk that balance but you do kind of need to make a decision about the future um and, and when what that investment is going to take and what i'll just say is there's a lot of very brilliant people leading startups who are trying to figure this out, right? To an extent. Um, Artifact, which comes from Kevin Sistrom and the other Instagram co-founder, whose name I always forget, uh, they launched a, an app called Artifact mm -hmm. that is effectively an aggregator that it uses AI recommendations to recommend the right news to you. The disadvantage that Artifact has currently is that it's not really partnered with a lot of news outlets. So if you have a, if it's like a New York Times thing you're interested in and you're not a New York Times subscriber, there's still a paywall. And so like it, there's there's limits to what it's trying to do, but it's getting to the understanding of we're going to combine video and text alongside push notifications with the right push notifications to kind of tar hyper target what people are interested in. Um CNN has the quality that most companies, maybe other than the New York Times, would kill for. And I say other than the New York Times because New York Times also has it. It is a quality level of journalism. It is a brand recognition globally. It has the ability to be a quality source of news from video and text um, across different distribution methods to really capture people's attention throughout the days, whether they're checking in for two minutes to see what's happening. Um, you know, I, I, a great example, by the way, of how to reproductize new that, news that I think is fantastic is um, The Verge and Disclosure. I used to work there, but this happened long after I left, uh, run by Neil Patel, who's our editor-in-chief, brilliant guy. 
And they've redesigned the site. One, it's mobile focused, but two, what they've done is kind of taken the idea of microblogging to its fullest uh, uh, extent. And they write, you know, a couple of sentences, like a link to a story that they'd like as as reporters. And they just link out to that story, whether it's, you know, Forbes story, whether it's a a New York Times story, a CNN story. And when you scroll the app on your phone, it's like scrolling Twitter. And so they they were Mm -hmm. like, why try to to, to, to change the format that people want their news delivery on? When we can lean into it, but do it in our own way and have the quality measure of it's us. And that's where I think aspects of CNN need to come into play and how do you combine written and video. And to Jason's point, it was much easier to do this with just writing because you can you could move it and maneuver it a little bit easier. Video operation and the operation that is CNN and when it's like a 24-7 operation, which also I don't think needs to be on Max, but, you know, I digress. Um much more difficult, but but we'll see. I, I'm I'm excited. Mark Thompson, and I think he was the right person for the job all along. No offense to Chris Licht. I'm excited to see what he does with the programming and who he hires for the programming side. It's also important to this equation for sure. Um, but yeah, it's um news, news media, news media, and sports media are probably the most interesting. Like entertainment media is going through its own transitional moment, but man, news and sports. There's a mm. lot of innovation to be had within those two worlds right now. News corner. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> not doing news corner. <laughs> We could do News Corner, but we're probably not going to, probably gonna, not going to do News Corner. We'll see. Um, okay. Let me take a break and tell you about our sponsor. This episode of Downstream is brought to you by Electric. When you think of a phrase boss move, you might think of making a bold business decision or maybe giving a great presentation in front of a big crowd. The reality is sometimes being a boss in a small business means gathering up everything your new employee needs to get started while your own to-do list keeps growing. Teams at Electric are there for you. They know about small business and they can help with the most time-consuming stuff, the stuff you don't want to do. It's not why you got into small business. Standardized device security, best-in-class device management software, so you can implement best practices across the board and be ready to scale. Employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average of eight hours per request. You got to get those days back. Let Electric do it for you. They help you keep a single point of visibility into your whole IT environment to control the devices, networks, and applications being used in your company, and they provide simplified reporting so that you can achieve and maintain compliance. And look, if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure where to start, guess what? Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. For downstream listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash downstream. That's electric.ai slash downstream. Go there now. Get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Thank you to Electric for supporting downstream. I thought, since this is an episode that's a bit out of time, um, we would do... Uh, make a letter segment because we've had a lot of letter letters, a lot of letters queuing up, a lot of letters. Uh, you want to get some letters? I would love to get some letters. All right, let's do it. Zach writes, it's been a few years since I watched Big Brother, but this year I noticed CBS decided to put the 24-7 live streams on, live streams on Pluto instead of putting them on Showtime like they've done in the past. What's the reasoning for them moving the live streams from a premium cable network to fast, linear? Love to your mother's Zach. I think there is. So for me, Zach, a big part of why these companies make these decisions is where they can create the strongest revenue off of how consumers behave with certain types of shows. And so if we're talking about 
live streams from Big Brother or if we're talking about anything to kind of do with Big Brother. Um, that is the type of show that people often put on in the background it is the type of show that people will watch episode after episode of. Um, and it's the type of show that advertisers really love. And so if you are Paramount and you're trying to figure out what's the best way to monetize the audience for that type of program and what's the best way that we can really use this program for all of our different uh, portfolio of products. Something like Pluto TV is going to make a lot more sense than a Paramount Plus or a CBS or a Showtime or whatever it might be. And so it just really gives them another opportunity to reach fans, to monetize those fans, to increase their ad inventory across different platforms um, and just generate the strongest amount of revenue. That That's the, ma- the majority reason that they tend to do stuff with the different platforms that they do have. It all comes down to a combination of consumer psychology and how they interact with certain types of shows. What type of consumer psychology with those series then best benefits what type of platform and then what is the underlying bottom line that we're trying to do uh, as a company sims writes a moment of silence for netflix dvd shutting down after 25 years all right i went through my movie watch list and 30 percent of the films weren't available on any streaming service luckily i still have a local video rental store in atlanta but it's a sad loss for movie availability yeah one of my friends uh, is a big supporter of the big uh, video store in Seattle. They're still around, but they're like specialty stores. And he makes the point frequently that um, there's just stuff that's out of that's not on streaming, right? And, and and it's available on disc, or it was available on disc. And it is one of those things that I when I back in the day when I was a Netflix DVD subscriber, that's one of the reasons that I liked it is there was lots of stuff you could get that just wasn't available anywhere else. And that's, that's even more so the case today because streaming rights, as we know, lots of stuff gets dropped from streaming. Is it profitable enough and all of that? And, and not having the ability, it really stinks to have the only way that you can see a movie that you're curious about be to buy it on DVD. But that's sort of where we are right now. It's really too bad. Do you remember, um, Jason, what your last DVD rental was from Netflix? Oh, man. I don't know. Ghost <laughs> World, maybe? Something like that. It was, yeah, something like that. I never rented a movie from Netflix. <sighs> wow. My first entry into Netflix, I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, I think my first entry into Netflix was around House of Cards. Like, I'm pretty sure. Wow. I remember when they set up Netflix Watch Instantly, which was like the really janky, like, oh, as a, in addition to having two discs at a time, you can also watch a very small selection of TV shows streamed over the internet. And I thought, okay, I mean, sort of interesting. Uh, and that, of course, became Netflix. It became their business. But yeah, my, I think my moment where I gave up on the Netflix DVD stuff was when we started watching way more Blu-rays and then they made yeah. a change where the Blu-rays were going to be way like they were harder to come by and way more expensive. And we just decided it wasn't worth it. But like, I, I think about that from time to time because I think about my past video stores and how that was a real rite of passage. And I love video on demand. It's very convenient. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. What I don't like is this idea that a lot of movies just and TV shows are just not available on streaming. Even if you have all the money in the world to pay for a streaming service or to buy it or rent it on something like Amazon or iTunes, like you can't. And I have a friend who actually has a tuner card attached to a, uh, a, a, a digitizer on a computer in her house so that she can record all of the movies on TCM because TCM airs lots of movies that are not available anywhere else. 
And it's just sort of that, like, this is the promise. We live in the future where the promise is like anything ever made can be accessible from somewhere. And yet it isn't. I, I, I will say, because I am echoing all that you are saying, but I will, the, the last DVD, Kevin, my, my wonderful Jets Living Partner, rented from Netflix, um, I'm pretty sure was, it was either Mean Girls or American Pie, and he mm. kept it. And this was before Netflix was <laughs> shutting down. And so you know what, Netflix, you come get his ass. Yeah. You get, get on it. him for that. Um, I'm sure he has many blockbuster movies that he never returned either. And so I'm living with the criminal. But um, I, I will. He, I know he's <laughs> got a lot of memories of, of like Netflix stuff. So, so I'm glad that there are people who have those memories. And if you are in the Seattle area, uh, Scarecrow Video, check it out. It's awesome. And 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 uh, Sims mentioned Atlanta. Like they're out there, but it's it's a shame that we live in a world of such plenty, and yet all of this stuff is not available, even if you want to get it. I, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, we got an anonymous comment. Well, you can do that. That's, that's okay with us. I'd be interested to hear your take on Comcast's direction. They have, seem to have accepted the X1 is going to keep going uh, as is until their customer base dies off and doing very little on the streaming side to compete. Uh, they, the X1's their DVR. They are instead looking at emerging markets shown by their deal with MultiChoice. Has this one titan of entertainment already been put out to pasture? Is there any saving Comcast? What does the future look like for Comcast? Yeah, I think I've been talking about this a lot. Maybe not on this episode. Uh, Jason and I recorded two back-to-back, which we've been... Right. We, the we previous episode, so, we touched on it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So in our last episode... So I'll just reiterate it quickly here. Um, I think Comcast won the... So two two quick points. One, um, their EBITDA, uh, which is kind of look at the health of, of their company for the cable division, is actually remarkably high despite the lack of subscribers. So the revenue side of Comcast's TV cable business is still pretty good, all things considered. Um, Not talking about the health of new subscribers, that's still a big issue. And eventually that's going to change, especially as a lot more of these content suppliers remove more content, therefore making it less valuable and increasing those churn rates to the point where they can't just increase prices or find new ways to package those up um, to increase EBITDA going forward. But two, um, Comcast and Charter have Zumo. And the Zumo, Zumo is basically a streaming aggregator between Comcast and Charter, similar to Apple TV, Amazon Prime Video Channels, uh, uh, and other services, Roku and other services like that. The idea is to offer more of these streaming platforms. And so if they can get into, you know, 60, 70, maybe 80 million homes, and they do this on the Flex device, which Comcast basically gives out to all of its customers, then you can see why a lot of these apps might want to be on those services and and kind of reach more customers that way. But what is the future of Comcast business? It's a broadband, it's a connected, you know, uh, business. It's broadband. It's, it's my, wireless has potentially high margins for Comcast. So I expect to see them really push through that way. And then how can they monetize IP within those two realms? That's where Zumo comes in. Um, and it's where they really figure out how they can work with other companies to kind of stay within that video business, but not um, within cable. So I think that's kind of what we might see happen with them. But you know, everything is uh, up in the air, but that's just kind of what, what the data seems to suggest to us. 
Woody wrote in and said uh, about our conversation about Rebel Moon, the uh, Zack Snyder uh, blockbuster series of films on Netflix. One, where does Squid Game fit in the Netflix franchise conversation? My gut says it's their biggest hit since Stranger Things, but maybe it's still early to tell. And two, for people of a certain age, myself included, 38, without a theatrical release, all their movies kind of feel like made for TV movies. They lack the prestige of a theatrical release that even bad movies get. Clearly, they're trying to change that. But what will it take to do so and how long? I'll just point out that uh, Julia, you and I said exactly the same thing for number two, which is maybe you yeah. should have some theatrical in the mix. I love the burn of made-for-TV movies. It's hilarious. Um, but what do you think about, uh, especially like Squid Game, does it fit in the franchise conversation? Not yet. Right now it's a hit. Uh, I think we've forgotten that hits can stand on their own because we live in a franchise-focused world. But um, sometimes a hit is just a hit. You know, Netflix is doing the unscripted Squid Game series, which, by the way, sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, but but I think we'll also get many views. So um, uh, they're doing that. You know, they've got the second season of Squid Game. They might do a different show. But remember that franchise really means that it can live across multiple, multiple mediums, um, including gaming, live experiences, podcasts, and can um, also produce a lot of merchandise outside of the core feature. So I don't know if Squid Game has that, but it is a really strong hit for Netflix, and that's that's good. Uh yeah, it's just a like a it's just a hit show. Although you mentioned the the reality version, that's that uh, meme. That's the 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 sci-fi writer who creates the Torment Nexus in order to be a, a a warning about the future of society, and then some tech guy says, "At last, we've invented the Torment Nexus." It's like no, 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 no. You you, you, you know it. you know what you, got it wrong. you know what man? I was watching uh, Fear Factor the other day. It was on YouTube TV, and I was like, "Why not?" I got nothing else going on, and they were doing that stuff. And I was like, oh, this is just going to be the Squid Game show. It's just going to be yeah. Fear Factor. Yep. And I was like, this show is going to do well for them. But exactly that. I was like, I don't know if anybody wants this. But maybe there are groups of people clamoring for a combination maybe. of Fear Factor and American Ninja Warrior. And I'm sure they will watch it. It's a squid Game, like the Hunger Games. It's like, it's not, not supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be like, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be great if our society was <laughs> like that? No. It would not. Um, Jonathan wrote in and said, Hi, Julia and Jason. When listening to your thoughts about what happens when the streamers start running low on content early next year, if the strike continues, it got me thinking, mm -hmm. do you think if the strike carries on that we'll see a lot of purchases by Peacock, Paramount Plus, et cetera, of overseas English language content from networks in the UK, Australia, and so forth to fill up the gaps? Love to your mothers. Jonathan, let me tell you about NCIS Sydney. <laughs> it's, it's literally NCIS Sydney, and it's coming... Uh, to CBS <laughs> because uh, it's it's in English <laughs> and it's a franchise. So sure, why not? Yeah, right. And there's a lot of Canadian content. There's UK content. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. They will leave no stone unturned. Plus, and and uh, um, friend of the show Joe Adalian at Vulture also pointed pointed this out recently. Um, you're you are all now starting to see the flow of content from streamer to cable to network where yeah. older streaming content is being repurposed because if you don't have our streaming service it's new to you and we have nothing else to show i'll also just add to what jason's saying and i can tell you from pure data that it's already happening um canadian sales of series are up uh, in general demand for a lot of those series is up which correlates to people discovering those series um remember that I spoke to someone at a streaming company, won't say who, and they had done a study that discovered um, a large percentage of audience thought of British programming as foreign. Uh, and so because there was an accent. 
And so like British, Irish, Australian, New Zealand, anything English speaking is going to be brought a lot, uh, be brought over a lot more. And to Jason's point, you'll see a lot more of the streaming originals go to their corresponding uh, broadcast channels. Yeah. If it, if it goes that far, I, it feels to me, and maybe since we're recording this two weeks in advance, maybe it'll be over by now, but it feels to me like the strike is getting, uh, it, it, they seem far apart and now it seems like, you know, they're talking and I, I it's starting to feel like there's going to be a resolution at some point here, but who yeah. knows? you never know. Um, let's see. Kenneth wrote in and said, if ads are so lucrative for streaming platforms, why does it seem like so many podcasts are trying to switch mm. to a membership ad free mo- model? Thanks and love to your mothers. Uh, I, I can answer this one and it, it you know, I, we, it. we see you, Kenneth, downstream plus, downstream dot plus, downstream dot plus. Um, uh, the answer is podcast ads are soft. That's the answer is that the TV, TV ads right now are very, very lucrative. And the podcast ad market is not as strong because in part, it's a scale thing. We're po- even the most popular podcast, pretty small. And uh, TV audiences can be very large. And so that's that's really the big difference there. What do you think, Julia? I would also just add to that that um, although digital advertising is poised to have a pretty good comeback the later latter half of this year and into early next year, the podcasting market to echo Jason is really oversaturated. Um, so top podcasts are still a great place for advertisements uh, because they have the reach. Um, but it's we there's two aspects of this one um we don't know how great the impact is for general advertising on podcasts so we tend to have a lot of curated ads on our plot on our podcast for example like they tend to be in line with what you guys are interested in this mm-hmm. is what marketing teams and ad sellers are totally designed to deal with um but on some of the bigger podcasts you get a lot of broader um advertisements we don't really know what the impact of those are but we do know the impact of digital ads on um, websites for example or even on television we have a better idea of what the impact of those are even though we can never ever truly know the impact of advertising via these things um but also i think podcasting in general is seeing a little bit of a slowdown not in terms oh, of yeah. a business but it's seeing it, it is seeing a bit of a slowdown and so the advertisers are just moving to where they're thinking might be the better place for them that could be short form video well, and keep, um, keep your, uh, Kenneth is saying, you know, likening podcasting to a streaming platform. But the, th- the right. thing is, we don't, it, a lot of those streaming pl- platforms are pay plus ads, right? We are in a different model, right? This is a, f- podcast start out as free, completely free with ads. And so the dynamic is a little bit different. Um, right. Disney plus is charging you and then selling you ads at that exactly. low at that low tier they're getting money both ways it's not it's not fast right it is pay plus ads and podcasts are free plus ads and then pay for extra content and maybe no ads and that's sort of how that works it's a it's a little bit of a different business model plus we're much much smaller and smaller audiences can be great because they have a huge affinity yeah. for the content yeah but it's also a smaller audience, which advertising being a scale business is hard to it's hard to, to scale when you're a relatively small podcast. To put it in the words of Parks and Rec is that we have been running around kind of with our 
uh, mouths closed and then finally have said, money, please. And Disney has been going around since the beginning of time going, money, please, money, please, money, please to different um, people who will give them money. Right. Whether it's us, whether it's advertisers, whether it's um, carriers, whatever it is. And so I think there's that component as well. Yeah, you're seeing you're seeing a free pro- what was once a free product because it was um, more ad supported lose some of that uh not value but just lose some of that momentum and so they're going okay let's get some let's let's really try to build this up with our own consumers and build that relationship a little bit more our listeners versus some of these companies who have always been like I'm charging no matter what and I'm finding new different ways to charge um so that going that 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 flip of like what you perceive as a product to be offered as um getting change is also kind of it can give you a bit of a head spin but this is, you know, it's just it's just different ways for people to put in the labor like Jason and I have been recording for, for two hours today. And and uh, we, we love it. We do this as a, as a, as a project because we love talking to each other and we love this. But also, you know, like we have we also build space. And so yeah. there's a big part of it that's like exactly. the ad side and also the, the membership side. So and, it's basically that. And we have some ads, but the fact is that we haven't had very many of them. And so the way to allow us yeah. to keep doing this and, and fit it into our busy schedules was to do Downstream Plus. Uh, which people have been very supportive of, which we really yeah. appreciate. And Thank that, you. that helps Thank us you keep going here. Yeah. Um, one last, uh, not a question, but uh, from listener Dan, who wrote in to say, I normally listen to podcasts at faster than normal speed. For downstream, I am having to slow playback to normal speed <laughs> and listen to all or parts of the podcast twice. You are providing an interesting and entertaining podcast that makes me think about the subject. Well done. I, I, I'm just going to say... Um, we, we do talk fast sometimes and you might need to slow it down. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, that's We only guarantee this podcast at 1x speed. Beyond that, you're taking your life into your own hands. All right. That brings us to the end of this episode of Downstream. We will be back in two weeks and actually present and not in a pre-taped episode like this one. Uh, if you have a question for us, please send them in. I read a lot of letters, but we have many more, but we, we always want to hear from you. Downstreamfeedback.com is where you send those. Love to your mothers. We really love hearing from you. And if you haven't yet, please do consider subscribing to Downstream Plus. This was a full-sized episode, but the only way to hear the complete version of our next episode and our previous episode is to be a subscriber. Go to downstream.plus to subscribe and support the show. You can find Director of Strategy Julia at ParrotAnalytics.com and Puck.News. You can find me at SixColors.com and I appear on many other podcasts here at RelayFM and over at TheIncomparable.com. And that's it for now. Until next time, Julia, say goodbye. Bye, everyone.